The Bob Murphy Show, episode 177. you gonna do get ready for another episode of the bob murphy show the podcast promoting free markets free minds and grateful souls it's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a christian and economist now here's your host bob murphy hey everyone welcome to another episode of the bob murphy show today i'm going to be talking with glenn jacobs this was an interview that we were supposed to do, I think last March of 2020. And uh, then the COVID stuff started kicking up and, and we had to postpone it and we never got around to doing it until now. So good things come to those who wait. As far as Glenn's official bio, Glenn Jacobs is mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. Before running for elected office, Jacobs had a successful pro wrestling career that spanned almost 30 years. Jacobs subscribes to libertarian philosophy and counts among his influences former Congressman Ron Paul, John Stossel, Judge Andrew Napolitano, and Murray Rothbard. He is also a student of the Austrian School of Economics. Jacobs lives with his wife, Crystal, along with fur, feather, and scale babies. Without further ado, here is my discussion with Glenn Jacobs. Well, Glenn, welcome to the Bob Murphy Show. Thanks, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. So I know we only have you for a little bit here, so I want to go ahead and, and hit some of the main things that everybody wants to know. So I suppose the one of the obvious questions people, of course, were asking about, you know, how, how did you get into pro wrestling? Like, did you, at what point did you decide, like, hey, that's definitely something I should consider and how that happened? My life is really defined a lot more by its failures than its successes, okay? okay. And that's actually the story of how I got into uh, pro wrestling. I always wanted to be a professional athlete ever since I was a little kid. That was my dream. I always played sports. In high school, I was a basketball player. I wanted to play Division I basketball in college, of course, but I hurt my ankle about halfway through my senior season, so mm -hmm. the recruiting and offers from Division I schools dried up. I went to Division II school. It's a very good school at the time. It's Northeast Missouri State University, and now it's Truman State. I didn't lift weights in high school, though. And I didn't start until I got to college. And I ended up putting out a lot of weight when I was in college. And the football coach comes to me and he says, you obviously aren't going to play basketball professionally in America. I might be able to play overseas, but you got the body for football, man. Mm -hmm. So I had a little bit of eligibility left if I switched sports. I had a year left. So that's what I did. And I played football. I was a very good football player, just naturally talented at it, uh, just because of the, the skills and gifts and the body that God gave me. But in practice before our first game, uh, we were going through trick plays at the end of practice, and I completely blew out my left knee. Oh, uh, so just like my basketball career, it ended early with well, my football career. That was essentially the end of it. I did. I did come back. I played the rest of the year as best I could. I had a torn ACL uh, and I ended up going to the Chicago Bears camp. I was cut after one day because I couldn't pass a medical uh, physical because of the injury. It was one of the biggest disappointments of my entire life. I mean, I was, you know, that'd been my dream. And basically, uh, <laughs> I started thinking, I was like, where would I have a competitive advantage? Again, with my inherent skill set. 
Uh, and I settled on professional wrestling of all things, um, mm-hmm. because it looked like it was fun. It looked like it was something I could do and, uh, got into that. And it's just like everything else, you know, you meet people and network and meet new people and network more and eventually get an opportunity. And that's kind of what happened to me. But I think that my life is really illustrative of, uh, the fact that when you do have uh, a setback and at the time it's devastating, when you look back, you realize, hey, that was actually probably the best thing that could have happened to me. And that's what happened to me in football. That's how I got into wrestling. And I think that I have a much better success in the long term with my wrestling career than I ever would have in football. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know there's several times in my life when I was in a job that dried up. And at the time, I was like, why is this happening? And then later, yeah. oh, thank God that happened. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then you find something or fall into or forced into something uh, that you that you really love, which you never would have explored beforehand. Can you speak a little bit, because uh, people are interested in this, that with professional wrestling, obviously there's like a lot of like storyline that goes with it. You know, there's events and it's, you know, the characters and right. So how much, if you're allowed to talk about this, sure. are, are, you know, do you get to control the destiny of who your alliances are and things? You get what I'm asking? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a full, well, not, I'm not there anymore <laughs> full time, but when I was in WWE, uh, they have a full, uh, writing crew, just like you would for a Hollywood movie or, mm-hmm. uh, any sort of show or anything like that. Uh, so we have some input as far as if we have an idea that they might think is particularly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, Vince McMahon, who is president of, of and CEO of the company, uh, he, is very hands-on and basically okays everything, but it is a collaborative process. Uh, the creative team does make most of the decisions, but what's kind of cool about it, um, and and this is probably true of, of acting in, in general, and I've gotten to do a little bit of that, we have to make the character come to life. I mean, when right. you hear the concept or read about it on paper, that's one thing. Uh, and I've had some characters in my wrestling career I, I just couldn't do that with. And they were monumental failures because I wasn't able to pull it off. So you have to have something that, I don't know if you relate to the character or whatever it is, that allows you to make the character like real and, and to bring it off the page or uh, out of the book and onto the screen and something that people actually believe in and relate to. And I guess one more on this, if you don't mind. So the, Andy Kaufman, you know how he dabbled with wrestling and, and so, and I saw him discuss it um, and it might've been through, you know, Lawler, but he, so along the lines of that, he was fascinated to see the, you know, the so-called villain wrestlers and how much, reaction and, and you know emotion they could pull from the audience and he just he loved it. he was just mesmerized like look at the connection that they you know and there there needs to be characters like this to get the whole effect and he so i don't know if you have any like did you notice that and have anything you want to say in terms of just seeing it from the other side yeah and just from talking with uh, lawler and other folks that actually knew kaufman mm. as big a star as he was he was like this huge fan of, of professional wrestling. And they said that he would sit in the locker room and he was literally in awe of the wrestlers. And of course, none of them were as famous as he was. Uh, Lawler would become very famous but basically because Kaufman helped him get there. Um, but yeah, and more so um, when I take a step back and I watch as a fan and uh, I see especially like a match or storyline or whatever that's executed very well, and you do, you get drawn into it. It's the whole Shakespeare thing. It's good versus evil or whatever. 
the beauty of our business, like many forms of entertainment, is it does allow you to leave the real world and get pulled into this fantasy world. And for a little while anyway, you get to forget about your problems and what's bugging you and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, just like anything. I, right now I'm watching Vikings on TV. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I am in the mood to be head people with everything going on. But in <laughs> any case, but it's the same thing, man. You have these, you have these just these larger than life characters. And, and I think now, especially in, in WWE, it was like this to some extent uh, with the anti-hero and nowadays the classic good guy bad guy you know a lot of it has become a little more amoral you Mm -hmm. know people interested in doing things like you look at game of thrones a big fan of game of thrones you know the reason that Jon snow is like the ultimate good guy is because he never wavered whereas everybody else in the show at some point went after you know, what, whatever they wanted to do and threw all their principles out the window. And he never did that. But we know from our own lives, that there are very few people that are do that. You know, at some point, all of us have uh, uh, whatever, you know, and, and we act in different ways. And I, and I think that's kind of really, we can see that through all threads of entertainment, the way that characters have changed. It used to be, you know, you have the good guy versus the bad guy. And now it's really shifted to, you know, they're both got, Maybe some has a little more good, but there's a little bit of bad in everybody too, which is fascinating to see the societal shift. Yeah, well, that's like they're like the Mandalorian, and it was it called right. the Boys too. Like it's like the flip side. Like so, the Mandalorian, like a guy you used to think would have been bad, is now oh wait a minute. And then with the yeah, Boys exactly. thing, it's you know showing like alleged or ostensible superheroes, and oh these you know some of them are pretty shady when you know when it comes right. behind the scenes. So that's exactly. you're right. I think they are exploring that. But in the end, um, I think as human beings it's always that human element that, that we're drawn to mm-hmm. and uh, whatever that we can relate to in someone that's on the big screen, the small screen or the wrestling ring. Right. Right. Can you speak a bit about how, you know, at what point did you ever feel constrained? Like a like quick story. I don't know if you remember this Glenn, but you and I were at an olive garden right before, you know, we, we, I was participating in an event with you guys. Yes. And I went up to go to the bathroom and the staff was like, hanging around the salad bar looking at you going, is that him? Is that him? And I just went, yes, that's him. <laughs> and I realized like, cause I've been around like libertarian famous people, you know, like at a conference people know, but not out in an olive garden. I was like, <laughs> wow, like he's literally famous. And so I'd like, and, and I, I remember there was an anecdote. I don't know if it was Paul or, or John talking about the Beatles. And they said, everyone wants to be rich and famous. Trust me. You just want to be rich. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if you, do you have any thoughts on yeah, I am an introvert, and it's mm-hmm. very strange because everything I've done in my life that I've been fortunate enough to have some success at mm-hmm. has been in front of the crowd, which is very, very strange for me because I am, I, you know, I'm your prototypical. I would rather be at home reading a book, staring into the flames of the fire pit, doing anything than mm-hmm. out there in public. Uh, so that's. It, it, that's something that was really outside of my comfort zone and something I had to get used to, especially in situations like that, when it really was my private life. And uh, it feels as, as an introvert, it feels like people are literally invading, almost assaulting you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you realize that's not the case, but just from your perspective, you want to right. stop, get away from me. Right. But my wife, of course, is a lot smarter than I am. And she said something one day that really changed my perspective. Uh, I was coming off of off of the road. 
And so I was tired and grouchy. We were having lunch and here in Knoxville and people came up and wanted a picture, autograph, whatever. And finally, I'm just like, and I, I, always, I would always try to be nice and cordial, uh, but I really felt like I had to force myself. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, I, I, well, I said, uh, man, I wish I wish everybody just leave me alone. OK. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't being mean or, you know, it's right. just, seriously, it's well, that's that's who I am. Uh, and she said, well, honey, what you have to understand is because you're on TV, meeting you is something that is very exciting for a lot of folks. And that changed my perspective about everything mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. And so I don't look at it as being and I did It used to be back in the day. I mean, it felt like I would be in my own little prison when I was out in public. And I think it, 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 that's, again, it's a matter of perspective and how you look at it. And if I can make someone feel good by meeting me and just being nice to them and doing an autograph, picture, whatever, uh, and it takes two minutes of my time, right? I can do that. Um, right. And, you know, it's funny, too, because as libertarians, one of, the, one of the pet peeves that really gets me is when libertarians and Austrian economists talk about profit, everybody thinks we're talking about money and monetary profit. We're talking about psychic profit. We're mm-hmm. talking about, in many cases, emotional profit. And that brings, that makes me feel good about myself. So I get right. a lot of profit from it in that way. Well, I'm glad you transitioned to that because, yeah, that's the next batch of things I want to ask you was, yeah, so how did you get into, you know, it, do you call yourself a libertarian? Are you, you know, Rothbard? What, what labels would you use or, you know, however you want to take that, but just how did you get into this genre of, of scholarship? Sure. sure. My mom and dad were probably Goldwater conservatives. Okay, uh, they were they were, they were your your old school Republicans, not neocons. Before that whole thing happened, uh, one of my earliest memories. This is just the weirdest thing, but I was like four or five years old, riding in the back seat of the Volkswagen Dasher, and we're driving under some of the high voltage lines, right? The big, huge ones. And my mom was talking about what a terrible thing intimate domain was. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm like four or five years old. I can still <laughs> remember that to this day. It's, it's really weird. They weren't the kind of, they didn't sit around and talk about politics at the kitchen table, but nevertheless, you know, mm-hmm. I, that, that illustrated to me where they were at. Um, when I got to college, of course, uh, and I also grew up in a small town, so a conservative place. When I got to college, I had the influence of, even back then, this is in the late 80s, even back then, the faculty was mostly leaning left. So I was like, oh, okay, well, these are some different ideas. Wow, why can't we all just take care of each other and give each other money and do all this great stuff? Then I got out, of course, in the real world, and I found out that's not how the real world works at all. So this is this is in the late nine, mid, mid-90s, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, to late 90s. And I was very, I mean, I was a fiscal conservative, but I was very uncomfortable with the Republican Party and the social conservatism that was being pushed so hard. Because frankly, I was of the mind of, if you ain't hurting anyone else, it's not my business what you do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the other wrestlers, a guy in his state, Sean Morley, whose stage name is Val Venus, he told me I sounded like a libertarian. And I was literally like, if you call me names, we're going to fight. <laughs> I had never heard the term libertarian before. I actually told me about the the Libertarian Party, so I went to LP.org and checked it out. And I was what what I would call an ad hoc libertarian. In other words, I'm like, yeah, I agree with them on this, 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 maybe not this, you know, but I didn't know anything about the philosophy. But I got intrigued by this whole term libertarian, never heard it before, and just delved into the whole thing. I actually I came across Rothbard and his political writings before I 
came across the uh, the economic stuff. And then I started hearing about about this Austrian economics. I was intimidated by economics. I had never mm-hmm. taken I'm, I'm not a math person. My sister's the mathematician in the family. So when I was in college, I avoided any sort of economics class like the plague because I didn't want to have to learn a bunch of formulas and theorems mm-hmm. and stuff. So I got what has government done to our money? And there's one formula in that, and that is the uh, the multiplier of, of when a bank deposit is made. Um, and that's it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is completely different. Uh, and that kind of changed my life, actually, <laughs> as mm-hmm. far as delving into Austrian economics and realizing that it, it gave me a better understanding, too, of libertarian philosophy because you realize that everything is really about economics because it's how we use and economize our time. And that's it all boils down to our personal liberty, our social interactions are really based around kind of this idea of economics. So anyway, that's that's it. It's a journey that is still going on. I mean, um, it's it's interesting because kind of the axioms and precepts of libertarian thought uh, and Austrian economics, they're there. But as human beings, we're always discovering new challenges and new problems. So it, it's interesting then to, to see debates that still go on about new things that pop up because of where we're going as, as a society and as individuals. Let's take a quick break for the discussion for some housekeeping here. For those of you who were in the supporting listeners group and you got locked out of Facebook, we've since moved to MeWe. So if you can't get back into Facebook to see the instructions for how to get over to MeWe, just contact me directly and I'll help you out. For those of you who would like to join the supporting listeners group, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash contribute and you can see the, the relatively paltry amount that you would need to hand me in those dirty fiat dollars in order to get into the fun group at MeWe. And always remember, if you can't make a financial contribution, it still helps a lot. If you share these episodes with people you think might be interested, give them a little taste. Just, hey, hey, what about this? What about this perspective? That's always a great help as well. Thanks for listening, everybody, and let's get back to the show. So at what point did you decide, I'm wondering how long were you thinking about, you know, entering the political arena and, you know, what made you finally decide to go ahead and do that? I've always been interested, as I said, I always paid attention to government Mm -hmm. politics. Uh, I'm not necessarily a big fan of, uh, again, because of my parents, I was always suspicious of government. I never had... Uh, I was, I wasn't the Michael J. Fox guy in whatever, you know, the sitcom, uh, mm-hmm. uh, where he wants, all he wants to be is, you know, a Republican politician. Um, that, that was never me. I, I, you know, I'm a capitalist man. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, forget that. You know, I want to go out and live my life. But as I got more into the libertarian stuff, I was like, man, you know, uh, for all of our faults, America really is a pretty cool place. And then it is based on, you know, ultimately based on this idea that, of, of the American dream and people should be left alone to fulfill their, their life, to fulfill their dreams. And in some ways you're kind of going off, off the rails. And so I got involved with the Ron Paul stuff when he ran for president in 2008 and 2012. I found Ron Paul after, you know, a lot of people came into libertarianism because of Ron Paul. I was, mm-hmm. the, I was already, you know, I was already in my libertarian journey. And then first time I ever heard about Ron Paul, John Stossel was interviewing him. And I was like, wow, there's this crazy congressman for Texas who kind of agrees with what I think too. Yeah. But then in 2012, I remember the RNC literally blackballed Ron. And we all knew that, I mean, he, he did not stand a chance of winning, but they wouldn't even let him speak at the convention. They made sure his delegates were turned away from the building, all these things. And I, 
I tore off politics altogether then. Um, but I was, uh, was telling that story on the Tom Woods show. And uh, Tom's like, well, you know, that's wonderful, except uh, unless we expect 300 million people to suddenly withdraw their consent from the federal government, we're probably still going to have to deal with politics. And that just that that stuck with me. Um, and as I was finishing up my wrestling career, for me, the, the real reason to get into this was I've lived a remarkable life. I grew up in a small town in northeast Missouri. My family wasn't connected. You know, we were we weren't poor, but we certainly weren't, weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not particularly talented at anything. You know, I mean, you know, I, I can read and do all those things, but it's not like I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm just super talented and I just can do something and, and everything just happens. Um, but I found this niche thing called professional wrestling. And it was like there was no limit to what I could do with that. Um, and the reason is because, you know, here in America, again, despite our flaws, we have a, a great deal of freedom, uh, especially in, in, in that regard, to find what we're good at and then to mm-hmm. utilize it. And, and um, I thought what a terrible thing that would be if we were to lose that. So for me, it's about thinking about my, my kids and grandkids and, you know, maybe doing what little thing I can to kind of ensure that the American dream goes on for another generation. Unfortunately, it's always under attack, sure, uh, as you well know, but, you know, just, just trying to do what I can. And, and, you know, it's hard because you're in government and, you know, it, it's, it's a different beast, but um, that's the real reason I'm here. I'm curious. So for your, the actual campaign, you know, where you're the first time you, for you to get elected, is that, did you like have any moral quandaries? Like, you know, were some people urging you, oh, you got to attack this guy and you weren't just like, ooh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if there's thing, if that kind of a thing ever came up. Uh, no, not really. We actually, everybody in my campaign ran a clean campaign. Mm-hmm. And I, I also felt that that's what we had to do. This is what I had to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I certainly, if, if there was, you know, there was an incident where uh, one of my opponents had, had, some questionable ethics, you know, mm-hmm. and pointed that out. But at the same point, we never smeared or, right. you know, we just pointed that out and said, mm-hmm. that's an issue. But overall, we tried to run uh, a positive campaign. And that's not only because, I mean, that's what I wanted, but just for practical purposes, I think people are, they're getting really tired of all the negativity in, right, right. in politics. Uh, we saw that in in the governor's race, uh, the same, you know, that was right after my election. You know, Governor Lee, who's governor now, when I met him, he was pulling at like 9%. I was like, there's no way this guy's going to win. But he told me literally exactly what was going to happen. He was going to keep a positive message to the rest of the candidates that were attacking each other. And people got so turned off by other people attacking each other that this guy who was this huge underdog was literally able to walk in between them and win. And that's one of the pieces of advice that I get to people that are thinking about running for office is, just you know, just run a positive campaign because you're... You know, all your consultants are going to say you have to do this. Whose campaign is it, though? You right. know, you're the person who people are going to judge by what happens. And, you know, even if I had lost, you know, I'd have been cool with that because I thought that we ran a constructive mm-hmm. campaign. Mm-hmm. Do you is there anything in terms of like what you expected going into it and now that you've been in there in terms of like this is this is how the system really works or, you know, any anything you can share along those lines? Well, first of all, COVID changed everything. Mm-hmm. And it just, I mean, now it's just, uh, it's just crisis management all the time. Uh, it's literally, um, you know, and I understand, I'm not one of those people that thinks this is a scam or anything. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's 
a huge issue. I get that. At the same point in time, uh, literally, I feel like there are days when I'm just trying to remind people that there's still a constitution, there's still a bill of rights. Okay. We can't do all these things and people still have freedom to make choices in their lives. And that's just been taken away. And to me, that's going to be, there's been a tremendous human toll, but it's also the political toll that's been taken. On the other hand, you know, sometimes, you know, I make, this is almost like you have to play the game, you know, and you do what you can. But other times it's like, you know, look, if, you know, if Knox County doesn't do this, this is, you know, we're going to lose this anyway, or or things like that. And that becomes very frustrating because it, you know, it shouldn't be like that, but it kind of is. And before you get into it, you know, you, you know, you say, well, I, I, I would never do this or that. And then you kind of get into it like, oh boy, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's another side to this. And, you know, I actually look now a lot to Rand Paul, um, you know, cause I think Rand is really good at purist libertarians get mad at him sometimes because, oh, he's not a pure libertarian. The dude has kept us out of, out of wars. You know, he's been able to do all this stuff that if he was in that position, no one would have done. So despite the fact that he might not be a pure libertarian, he's really, if not pushed the country in a libertarian direction, at least kept us away from some disastrous decisions that probably wouldn't have been, that probably would have been made if he hadn't been in the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little about, like, when you first were deciding to get into it to determine what level, like, what level of office you were going to go for? Sure. I really think the federal government is, um, despite, I love Rand Paul, I love Thomas Massey, you know, Justin Amash, some other people fighting the good fight at the federal level. Uh, they're getting overwhelmed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think also practically because of just kind of uh, the problems, I believe that the dollar is going to have at some point, the problems that we're going to have with our economy. I really think that the state level is very important. And kind of what we've seen with COVID too, where we've seen different states emerge as, you know, South Dakota uh, and and Christy Nome. And, and, you know, I look at that, I'm like, man, you know, freedom. Um, Mm -hmm. Here in Tennessee, we have not done, and I know it's different around the state, but, you know, you look at California, you look at New York and all the stuff going on, like, man, you know, if you walk outside in Knox County, it ain't like that. Okay. And so I think that states, I think there is going to be a differentiation uh, among the states, potentially, uh, and, I, and especially if, if if the states will exert some of the, their actual authorities and then push back, which could be difficult. Then you look at the local level, and, and at the local level, you can have you're just closer to people, uh, and, and you can actually have quite a bit of impact as well. As mayor, uh, the, the executive position is also always better than the legislative position because in the legislature, whether it's commission, city council. Uh, the state legislature or Congress, you're one of however many people. As the executive, uh, you might not be able to make a lot of decisions, but you are the person that decides where the money goes or the lack of money uh, mm-hmm. in some cases. Uh, so you you have more ability to set an agenda than you do at the legislative side of things. I was very fortunate here. Um, my predecessor, Tim Burchett, who's now in Congress, is one of the good guys. You know, people are always like, I couldn't come in. I wish I could have, but you look at our budget and, and, you know, you probably know this from, from the state side of things. There's a lot of things that are not non-discretionary spending. Okay. And Tim had done a good job. So when I came in, if it had been anybody else, I'd have taken a chainsaw to the budget with him. It was literally a laser beam. 
because we're, you know, especially compared to the rest of the state and the major metros, you know, we're in a, in a fiscally very good situation. But nevertheless, you know, as the executive, you're the person who gets to make a lot of those decisions. And uh, the federal government, yes, they're hugely influential and state government's hugely influential. Um, but you can also do some things in your local community that can really have an impact on folks. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and too, I think that people, you know, I think that I've been able to talk about some libertarian ideas that have, I think, helped as well. Well, yeah, and that I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking in your case, you you haven't found that, oh, I need to tone down, you know, my my views that actually like emphasizing, especially like with a conservative type population that that actually resonates. They right. can tell the authenticity. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, here's the thing too is um, I think people, they appreciate that even if they don't agree with you, you know, but you're not a politician if you take a stand. And right. it was, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was from my communications director. He was mad at me about something I'd said. And <laughs> he's like, but you're the rare politician who will plant his flag on a hill and die defending it. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty much me. So <laughs> he was still mad at what I said, but at least, at least he gave me a compliment. Right, right. <laughs> well, I know we're just about out of time here. So um, a few people in my private group were asking me to ask you, you know, what, what's your plans for the future? Are you, are you allowed to speak about that? Um, no, not really. I mean, uh, I I may run for probably will run for mayor for another term. Uh, then I'm term limited. Um, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, I just want to do this is um, the thing about the COVID deal is no matter who you are, you felt like you've lost a year, you know, and it's right. the same here. So, you know, I'm just looking forward to hopefully the beginning of the end of COVID, you know, and, and I'm also I'm excited about our future here in Knox County and our future in Tennessee. I think that as I was talking about earlier, uh, a lot of the states have really, I mean, they've just destroyed themselves. You know, we're seeing a lot of productive people that want to come to states like Tennessee uh, because we have a favorable tax rate, you know, because all the other things we have and a a great uh, quality of life here. So I think Tennessee is going to be one of the states that people look to as, you know, people are free down there, at least Mm -hmm. a lot freer than they are in the rest of the country. And I think that's going to bode very well for us. Well, folks, my guest has been Glenn Jacobs. We're out of time here. Glenn, thanks so much for, for everything you've been doing. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.